Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for Closing the Wealth Gap. The one show, maybe the only show that shows you how to close the wealth gap in your own life with the man who's done it for many, our wealth coach himself, Tyrone French. Hey, Tyrone. Hello, everybody. Hey, welcome to another episode of Closing the Wealth Gap. Uh, Basically, this show is about redefining wealth for everyday people. I'm your host, Tyrone French. Um, you know what? This is a this is the start of a new season. Uh, you know, I got my co-host here, uh, Paul Roberts. <laughs> Welcome to be uh, back. Glad. Couldn't do this. Couldn't do this without you, buddy. I <laughs> uh, love your energy. I uh, love the frequency that you bring to the the, this, the the entire vibe that you bring to the show. Um, it's been a while, but a lot of stuff has been happening in the news. Uh, since we were waiting for the season to start, uh, something really, really important happened. Uh, the topic of this show is America's looming national security crisis. And the reason I call it a security cri- or national security crisis is because the wealth gap is getting wider and wider and wider. And inflation is not helping. And here's the thing, though. We talked about inflation on this show uh, when the pandemic first started, when nobody was talking about it. Mm-hmm. You remember that? I do. And everybody said, oh, no, inflation, we, that's for yesterday's news. We don't have that. That's Jimmy Carter era. That's the 80s and 90s. Exactly. 80s, rather. So the, the, the Consumer Price Index came out uh, a couple of days ago. And inflation now is at the 1980s level. Yeah, right. It's back to where it was 40 years ago. The difference is that we don't have shortages based on petrol or, or gasoline. You don't have those gas lines. What we have is a supply chain shortage as far as, you know, companies are, they, they can't fill the shelves fast enough. Right. And why couldn't we see this coming? You saw it coming. Why did so few predict this? Um, I was watching uh, Larry Summers, uh, uh, Clinton's old, um, was he the Treasury Secretary? I think he was the Treasury Secretary. And anyway, real smart guy, real connected to Goldman Sachs, Wall Street, I believe, and all that. And he said, shame on both the current administration and the last administration. All we did is print money and pour it into the economy. And we didn't think somehow this would create inflationary pressures. We did it because we thought things were collapsing and people needed immediate help. But did we keep pouring too much in too long? And then did we not anticipate pent-up demand and the supply chain issues? Shame on us. Why didn't we see any of that? You we did. Call it, we call it supply and demand, we, but, you know, cause and effect. But the average consumer, they don't understand the economy. They don't understand monetary policies. And I just kind of hate to say it now, but most politicians don't understand it either. No. They don't know. And here's the thing. A lot of people attributed attribute this to the the government printing money. Mm-hmm. It's not just the government printing money. It's the central bank as far as bank credits. Yeah, right. Uh, issuing See, the central bank can easy. create money out of thin air. Right. And it used to be a time when you could literally, you know, put your money in the bank, which, again, once you turn your, your money over to the bank, it no longer belongs to you. It belongs to the bank. <laughs> and they give you a, a statement and saying that you have, you know, a credit in your account. And it used to be a time when the bank had to have a certain reserve of that money, meaning that if you had a hundred dollars in there, 
uh, they would have to hold 10% in reserve. They can't loan it all out. That was can't the idea. Can't loan it all out. That's right. the law. But, hey, now they changed that. So now they can loan out 100%. So easy, cheap money was circulating in the economy again, mm-hmm. which was driving up prices, which is causing all of these bubbles. And that's why I call it a, na- a national security crisis is because look at what's happening now as far as people going into these retail stores. They don't go in with the intent of, well, this is how much money I have and this these are the items that I want to buy. A lot of times they're going in with a shopping bag and they're just loading it up and walking out the door. Yeah. yeah. And people are appalled at this. It's like we got two classes. You, you have the you have the wealthy class and then you have the, the working poor. Right. And the wealthy class is like, well, how would how could somebody do that? Why would somebody are there no morals are there no values not understanding that when they decide to purchase a house and they spend maybe a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand over the asking price they're contributing to the problem yeah without even understanding it well i i I never heard anybody describe it as a looming security crisis how does our financial sickness it does seem like almost a sickness these days. It's not just a little bubble or bump or something. We seem to have something, or there's something unhealthy going on with our economy. Is, am I making too much of this? Actually, you've been hanging around me too long because you're using my vernacular. You're I know using, I picked that you're up. Using my terms and my. <laughs> I heard you but say again, that, if, and I thought that makes about, sense. Yeah. But when you talk about financial wellness, what is the flip side of wellness? sickness or dis-ease yeah people look at dis-ease as far as some type of uh, physical ailment dis-ease means the opposite of ease is dis-ease so yeah. the economy is is at a dis-ease state right now yeah right and if we, we can't fix this with a band-aid we can't have an approach to whereas uh even if you look at the way the, the prices are are soaring right now the wages are not keeping pace with inflation. Mm-hmm. And so p- desperate people do desperate deeds in desperate times. And I'm just trying to sound the alarm saying that, hey, look, we need to wake up and we really need to start becoming, uh, am, I, am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Yes, I am. Yeah. Can we start putting policies in place that's going to that's gonna help everyone and not just the top 10% because I'm telling you, the top 10% of income earners are going to be fine. Win or lose. In, in, in whether we go into a recession, depression, or inflation, or they all seem to find a way to, for the most part, profit and ride it out. When, you, when, we were, when we're in, when we're in a, a recession and the boom, the, we, got, we have this boom bust cycle. When the bubble bursts, that's when the rich and the wealthy go shopping. Yeah, right. Because that's a that's a clearance sale. Right. Yeah. And you've been right. saving all the all this time just waiting for this bust to happen so that you can go up and buy up more stuff. Why? Because you have the cash. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. Because you have cash and because you have other assets, when that when that bust cycle comes and the credit begins to shrink, then again, that locks out a whole nother segment of the population from taking advantage of that. And again, we don't I don't know why we we, we just don't associate 
all of these boom and bust cycles with 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 currency. And let me let me just go ahead and add this too. Um, Joe Biden, uh, March of this year, signed an executive order. And most people, again, they're not thinking about the executive orders and and how they're going to impact, uh, you know, how they're going to impact them. But there's an executive order one four zero six seven. I'm not going to get into the entire order. What I want people to do is just Google Google Executive Order one four zero six seven. Okay, you got me. I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, this is ensuring responsibility or ensuring responsible development of digital assets. Mm, that's right. He for the first time they issued something about digital currencies, the bitcoins and everything else. And there was I don't know what they did, but I know there was an executive order that came out about this. This is this is the hail or this is the hailing or the precursor of the removal of physical dollars from the economy. Wow, come on. You you think it's really going to go to that? They're going to take physical coin, they're going to take gold and silver, they're going to take pennies and nickels, they're going to take printed dollars out of the economy? Would you why would you try to walk around with we think it's natural to pay Ten dollars for a combo, yeah, at right. a fast food place. Right. Look at go back to nineteen fifty seven. That would have been insane for somebody to pay ten dollars in nineteen fifty seven for a combo. Well, uh, and before that, Henry Ford nineteen twenties, you only got five dollars a day. Now by the fifties, it was probably I don't know what the average daily wage was. It was probably fifty dollars a day or a hundred dollars a day i don't know so paul we're fastly approaching that time when people are going to pay the people are going to pay a hundred dollars for a combo i don't i don't want to hear it i don't want to hear it again 50 years ago that would have been an insane amount of money for a combo can I give you an example of, I think, where you're going with this? My late father, we talked about once before on the show, one of our, in our earlier seasons. And he made, he was an executive with Chrysler Corporation in the 1960s and retired in 1970. Yes. And just as inflation, that Carter years, I think he retired a little later. I think it was like 74, 75 he retired, just as Carter came into office. And, when did Carter come into office? 76. And he wasn't ready for what came next because right. at his most top executive he made fifty thousand dollars our fancy house in the suburbs cost fifty thousand dollars a car you could buy for five thousand a pinto or whatever uh he thought and so his uh retirement those days he got a um pension and i think he got three thousand dollars a month something like that and he thought i got it made three thousand dollars a month for the rest of my life and of course when he retired he was 65 or so i think he was 65 he thought oh, maybe i'll live 10 more years and I, Paul, I know where you're going with this story but back then nobody factored in inflation no that's what i'm saying inflation so when the carter years hit he had to go back to work because yeah. he wasn't ready the little bit of money that he had worked 40 years to get quickly got eaten up and he realized he wasn't going to uh, be able to live on that money nor did he realize how long he was going to live and guess what ushered in uh the reagan era and reaganomics he asked he asked america a question are you better off today yeah right than you were let me finish the sentence are you better off today do you remember that what he said yeah 
Are you better yeah. off today than you were before? And just ask that one question. Everybody said resoundingly no, and he won one of the biggest land sides ever. Yeah. And what happened to the economy? What did he What did he do to to the federal deficit? For the first time ever, he said the <laughs> deficit didn't matter. He, Absolutely. he openly said it doesn't even matter what the deficit is. We're going to reduce taxes and increase defense spending. We're going to spend more and take in less. Reaganomics, and it'll all just somehow to stimulate. We're going to create more wealth in the hands of the makers, and they're just going to make more jobs, more factories, more everything, and everything's going to happen. And instead, that's when you can chart the line. I don't want to sound absolutely. That's when it started. All it, of a it, sudden, it it, 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 flat, it was flat yeah. for decades. Decades. Then all of a sudden, it just shot up, and what it what it showed was that the value of the U.S. the value of the money was being decreased or is being devalued. It was worth less. And from that time, every president has followed that same trend. Everyone. Every single one. And the well, problem I'll say this. Clinton Clinton did under Larry with Larry Summers, they did really try and he balanced, balance the he budget. He tried to yeah. balance the budget. Absolutely. Yeah. But but again, spending was still high. Right. It it they probably they probably reined it in, but it was still higher Right. than norm and that's what made it okay it's almost like you can look at uh the stock market and they'll say oh the down the dow jones industrial average is down uh five points but it was is that a, a record high right <laughs> but that's when it all started and that's when we saw inflation take off that's when we saw deficit spending take off and that's when we saw this gap between the wealth gap suddenly widen and it started a curve where it's just been getting wider and wider and wider and wider that one's going down and one's going up or one's sort of flat the the income of the of the working class and the other one's just skyrocketing and we somehow thought that that would eventually benefit everybody i don't see how it has well, I tell you what, let's get back to this, uh, the executive order uh, 14067, which, again, I want people to Google this because there's, there's a phrase, there's an acronym in there that's going to be familiar with a lot of Americans. They don't they don't know it now. Uh, they're not familiar with it now, but it's just like uh, Google. Uh, the term Google uh, 15 years ago would have sound foreign. It was. It's a made up word. Yeah, right. And so you got to think about so many Wi-Fi, so many, uh, you know, Internet, all these terms that are just common to us now uh, would have been foreign years ago. So there's a term. It's going to be CBDC. CBDC. Okay. Everybody's going to be using this term uh, here. uh, I would say within about. I would say about a uh, about a year, two what? years. I've never even heard of this thing. I've heard of CBD, the little compound in uh, cannabis that everybody's using to to get rid of inflammation and oils. And I've never heard of CBDC. I don't even. Know well, you're you're, you're familiar with digital currencies. You're familiar right. with Bitcoin, right? Um, but this is the central bank digital currencies. Oh. The central bank digital currencies. And so, and so people, we were trying to figure out or trying to wonder, why is it that now the bank is starting to regulate how people use uh, their, uh, their like, Venmo accounts? Yeah, you right. Know, that, that, you know, For example, you, they're now going to make, whether you have a Venmo or a PayPal account, you're doing these ways to pay people on an app. Now they're going to, IRS is going to start saying, I want to see what you're paying. I want to they see. They want to see the, the transactions. Yeah. $500. Right. 
They want they want to see those transactions. Used to be a time if you deposited money in the bank, uh, let's say it was you know currency, and as long as it was it didn't go over ten thousand uh, dollars, you you were under the radar. Right. No, they they lowered that. Why? Because they're monitoring the system. They're they're, they, they're monitoring the system based on flowing, flow, flow. And see, the, one of the most important words in business and in finance is cash flow. Yeah, yeah. It's cash flow. So currency has to flow. And another thing that a lot of people don't understand about money is that every dollar that's circulating in the in the economy is, is borrowed. Every dollar is borrowed. So every dollar is earning interest. So if everybody paid back all the money that they owed, the economy would come to a screeching halt. Isn't that so kind of what look, happened in the Great Recession? You know, the one we've so quickly forgotten about in 2008 that seemed to be the end. That was the black swan, never going to happen again. And what happened is all of a sudden when, I'm not sure, really, I understand the whole mechanism. We can do another show on that someday. But but when the subprime Mortgages. Everybody had houses, and then suddenly they couldn't pay them. They, that's, that's funny. This thing starts collapsing. Banks start collapsing. Everything starts falling apart. This whole system where everybody got a house, easy credit, easy money, and many who shouldn't have. And they, they packaged and they, them into what was called credit default swaps. Exactly. But go ahead. And so they're, and all of a sudden, that system wasn't working. And they had companies like AIG saying, don't worry, we'll insure all this stuff. And they realized they couldn't. So many were coming back and so quickly, and it, it just started to stampede. Who's not going to pay their mortgage? AIG thought that that was a slam dunk. I mean, yeah, yeah. we'll insure it. We'll insure these um, the, these credit default swaps because who's not going to pay their mortgage? Yeah, a ton of people, because when the <laughs> when the recession hit, they were uh, they were underwater. I owe more than I uh, uh, than the house is worth. You can have it. I'll just hand it back. And it started happening, and one led to another, led to another. This kind of stampede, this herd mentality, and they literally went in. Larry Summers and some of these guys. And literally just walked in and said to the Goldman Sachs and to the banks and stuff, you're out, you're saved, you're dead, we're just going to fix this thing. Because suddenly nothing was flowing. And, and they realized that the country couldn't operate if nobody was borrowing and nobody was lending. There was no well, money Actually, flowing. it was Tim Geithner. Tim, Tim I'm Geithner. sorry, Tim, no, Tim Geithner. Yes, I'm yeah. sorry. Right. So, but, but the point Obama, was yeah. the people, the people that lost the most ended up bailing out the financial institutions. Yeah. Now, how? The, think about the irony of that. Just think about that. So that, that's why I call it America's looming national security crisis, because people are waking up. They're beginning to see, wait a minute, this is, this, this is a rigged system. And it's not it's not working for me. It's, it's not rigged, working it's for, not rigged for me. Percentage. If it's rigged, it's not rigged for me. Yeah. It's rigged against you. Yeah. And, and we're in a time right now that people, you need to have, you need to have the knowledge that the top 10% have. Yeah. It's like the, the best way to become successful is to find somebody that's successful and just do what they do. Yeah. It's, it's okay to be a copycat as long as you're copying the right cat. <laughs> If that makes sense. Not being the right cat. I like that. All right. So you, there's a lot there, but what, what's the security crisis? When, when, the, when the country 
finally, when, when ordinary people wake up and start coming with their pitchforks and they start following Bernie or somebody else here and we burn the banks or redistribute the wealth or whatever the fears that are being floated around, they're going to come for that upper 10% and demand something? It's already started, Paul. People are saying, I am not going to work on this job. Yeah. And really, I still can't pay my bills. I still can't, I can't work enough hours to pay these corporations and to, for them to get rich and to increase their, pre, their share prices, which the top 10% are purchasing these shares, which is generating, um, you know, uh, uh, passive income right. that they can live off of. And here's the thing. The psychology of money is that poor people live from day to day. Yeah. This is a cycle. Right. Poor people live from day to day. They live hand to mouth. Okay? You got the working poor. The working poor, again, which is which is uh, uh, falling off from the middle class, the working poor live payday to payday. They live from check to check. Yeah. They're getting uh, every once a week or every two weeks. All these the studies middle- that say if you, if you were hit by a $1,000 crisis, a medical bill, a car repair, you couldn't pay it. Most people don't have $1,000 in the bank to go pay. You can, you can go to the Federal Reserve website and look at, I mean, you're being generous by saying $1,000, that the number that is actually 400 400 wow. I was, they I couldn't pay it, it or they have to borrow it right. from, from another relative or family member. So, again, the middle class, they're living from month to month. The wealthy, the wealthy live from year to year. Meaning that when you, you're paying your car insurance, you pay the annual note. You have other uh, uh, car payments. You pay it for a whole year. The rich, rich people live from decade to decade. And the super rich, the super rich lives from century to century. And again, I'm not making this stuff up. These are, these are, again, this is just the psychology of money. And you can see it when you listen to people and you listen to their vocabulary vocabulary when it comes to money uh, and how they, they stress over their bills, they're telling you whether or not they're the working poor, the middle class, the wealthy, or the rich, or the super rich, just by the terms that they use. So what's the crisis, and what can I do? You're just making me scared. You make me feel like there's a, a looming crisis coming, and I'm really going to get walloped. I've already been walloped by inflation. You say the, there might be the more coming here. So again, let's go back to what I said about the, the psychology of people as far as work. Um, they're going to start trying to pass initiatives, uh, companies, uh, and they're going to get really strict on their employees about forcing them to come back to work because most people are saying, I am not going to, because again, you're trading time for money. Right. I am not going to spend my time, which time is currency that we don't really factor into the equation. But I am not going to spend my time working on a job where I can't even pay my bills. Yeah, that that, that you become a wage slave. That's at been that the shock. Point. The great the great resignation. We saw the great recession in two thousand eight. Never seen the great resignation. I don't know how these people are doing or where they're going, but forced to go home and rethink their job, their life. They're saying, I don't like it. I ain't going back. And if people go back and they just listen to some of our, you know, past episodes, we talked about all this, Paul. I know. We discussed all of this. So what's the solution? 
Because again, if you got a problem, you have to address it with a solution. I, yeah. First of all, you have to you have to recognize the the name of the economy that we're in. We're in a different we're in a different economy. I call it a yo-yo economy, meaning that you're on your own. But the economy that we're in right now, that we've been in for a while, is the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial economy. That's where we are. And people know the names like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. They, they know, they, they see how these entrepreneurs have come in and they've, they've made a, a, a shift as far as how business is done and how people think and how they shop. Well, you cannot work or trade time for money and work two, three jobs uh, and think that you're going to maintain because you only have so many hours in a day. And then what happens if you get sick? What happens if you can't work? So in this entrepreneurial society, the tax code is set up for people to become small business owners. Even me, even regular people, because the the theory was that's only for the super smart, super lucky, super rich, super work, hardworking, maybe it's a few. You're saying it's for the many. Everybody's got to think of themselves as self-employed. When you look at the when you look at the entrepreneurial economy, and again, I'm not making this stuff up. This is not something that I'm just pulling out of a hat. You can Google these the terms that we're using. Google these terms. Educate yourself. Get this information because what they'll they'll show you that the definition is not not just a small business owner, but people that are working from home. Yeah. See, if you have an income and an expense. You're a business owner. You're running a business. You're running your own economy. The problem is some people mismanage their incomes. And it's just based on a philosophy. Like my dad, uh, I love my dad, rest in peace. But he was grooming me to become an employee. My dad wanted me to to get a good uh, high paying job uh, with benefits that I can retire from just like him Mm -hmm. and those days are over they don't exist anymore so the average american will stay on a job about seven years and again like i said i'm not making this stuff up how long was your dad how long did your dad work for his employer my dad worked for his employer about 45 years my dad worked for his employer for 40 some years that was the ideal safe steady i work for them and they'll take care of me not just during that period of time, but they'll pay me a pension and take care of me for life. Not anymore. Those, that, those were the gilded years. Yeah. They're, they're, those or almost like the Victorian ages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those days and, are long, And I'll tell you, one of the long. things that killed it, I saw it with my late aunt, my mother's late sister, who was a secretary for an insurance company, and she retired. After 45 years and got a couple thousand dollar month pension, that plus a couple thousand dollars a month in Social Security, she lived on three or four thousand dollars a month. Wasn't a great living, but it was enough to live. What she didn't know is that when she retired at 65, she wasn't going to die till 95. So exactly, she worked for. Actually, she retired. Yeah, she, she retired. Uh, I forgot the math exactly, but she worked for a company. 
as long as she was retired. So when when the insurance company paid her for, I guess it wasn't 40 years, maybe it was like 35 years or something that she worked for them, they didn't know that she was going to live another 35 years and they were going to have to pay for it. So when they started looking at those results, they said, no more. We're not giving anybody pensions anymore. I'm not going to pay. I don't care how long you work for me. I'm not going to take care of you for another 20, 30, 40 years. It was a divine, a defined benefit plan. Yes, right. And so all of a sudden it ushered in the the four the four one k revolution. Yes, it's up well, to you to figure out how to take care of your future. It's right. not me. I will give and, you some help, but and the average person ran their retirement into the ground. And guess yeah. who benefited from all of these people going into these four hundred one ks? Wall Street. Because people were, were were literally taking their money and investing into these companies, right? So that's another reason why the stock, the, the stock market soared because of all of this retirement money. Got to go somewhere. Pension money. Yeah, got to go somewhere. Again, and people are not connecting the dots. They don't understand what's going on. All they all they know is I gotta, I have to go to work so I can trade my time so I can generate income. So that I can buy the buy the things that I need to exist, which is food and shelter and clothing. But when you do that, you're giving your money and your income right back to entrepreneurs and business owners that are getting the tax breaks. So the whole world shifted and I'm on my own now for my retirement, for my future and for my immediate needs. I can't look for the government's not going to bail me out. They did under COVID. Uh, but that's not going to last forever. I can't live off of what I earn in many of these jobs. So I got to have two jobs, three jobs, or all of us in the family got to have jobs, multiple jobs. You're saying the world has shifted and you can either adapt or die. Adapt or die. I mean, it was a great phrase in, in uh, Brad Pitt and Moneyball, adapt or die. Yeah. And so my point is people need, they need the assistance. They need the help. And so where do you go to find this help? Well, I have a website, TyroneFrench.coach. You can get information at this website. Uh, I partner with a company called Savology. And again, go to the website, uh, click on the links where you can literally get a financial plan, a world-class financial plan for free. <laughs> what? And the AI... And the algorithms will basically, once you put your data into this system, it's going to tell you where your weakest links are and what you need to focus on. And periodically, it's going to give you feedback. It's going to give you follow-up, letting asking you, have you taken care of these different things? Because once you give this, once you give the program a destination, meaning that just like in your car and you have a navigation, the, the navigation wants to know where do you want to go? It already knows where you are. Right. Right. It wants to know where do you want to go. And that's what it's calculating. That's what my program with Savology would and do. Most of us really don't know where we want to go because we're just living day to day, week to week, and paycheck that's the to paycheck. That's the mindset that has to, has to change because you want to know the difference between the wealthy uh, and the working poor? Yes. It's a mindset. You keep saying that. And it seems... I. I I shake my head. It's a campy. They started off with an advantage. They they got better connections. They got family money. They got um, they're smarter. They got more knowledge. They got so. Something. Let me define this. Let me define because you hear that term mindset. Uh, no, Napoleon Hill called it a state of mind. Right. What it is is when you when you know where you want to go, 
you began to make decisions that's going to lead you to that destination. So when I talk about mindset, people have goals, they have objectives, but based on those goals and, and objectives, they make better decisions yeah. based on what it is that they're trying to accomplish. The people that are in the working poor class, um, they make decisions that keep them in the working poor class. Whether they realize it or not. Whether they whether they realize it. So you'll say whether it's conscious or unconscious, these decisions are being made. So most of the time, the conscious mind is only engaged maybe 10% of the time. It's the subconscious mind that's, the, that's, that's deciding where you're going to do and what you're going to be and how you're going to be there, how you're going to be that individual. I'll give you a, a subtle example. I grew up in the Midwest, and I know you're not from the Midwest. Maybe m- many of your listeners aren't either. But there's a mindset back there that was drilled into me from the moment I can remember that said, you know what? Don't expect too much. Uh, it, it, uh, the ideal was that safe, solid, steady path. You heard he's got a solid job, a solid marriage, is on a steady path. Everything. I don't want it to be too big, too hot or too cold, too good or too bad. Just stay the course, right. steady, safe, exactly. predictable. And anytime you said, I want to try something different, people start doubting it. Really? You sure? That sounds scary. I don't and, know if you should do it. So and just, check this out, Paul. That becomes your limiting factor. Yes. Because people talk about fences. They'll say, uh, you know, uh, what is it? There's a term about uh, fences make good neighbors. Well, what you're trying to keep people out, you're actually keeping keeping yourself locked in. Yeah. And so that becomes your norm. And guess what you begin to teach? Because we're all teachers. Right. So you begin to teach your kids the same thing. And they fall into that same pattern. Or call it a paradigm. Right. A paradigm is nothing more than a multitude of habits. So again, when we're talking about mind shift, mindsets, and you start making these decisions, every time you make a decision and you you do it with repetition, it becomes a habit, right? And it becomes your norm, right? And that's what I'm trying to explain to people that whether you're the super rich or the rich or the wealthy or the middle class or the working poor or the poor, you're being driven by the habits that you've established over a period of time as you think so shall you be right as a man thinketh in his heart so is he yeah well paul i tell you what we we kind of went over we did i don't want to talk this long and as a matter of fact the next time we're going to have a part two to this because we can't possibly finish this up in, in one show but what i want people to do is and we covered a lot of information reach out to me go to tyronefrench.coach uh again Check out that link. Check out the Savology link that's that's on that page. All you have to do is click on any box that's in that page. If you got any questions, reach out to me. Contact me. All of my information is right there on that page. If you want to hear this show again, just go to closingthewealthgap.net. Right. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And come and back for out. future ones because we, we're going to keep the conversation going. It isn't once and done. It isn't just one answer. And, and what I heard the last season was – it's this hammering away of how many times do I have to say something before you finally start to wake up and realize I'm in control of my destiny, at least some of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, the, greatest con- the, ba- the greatest control in the world is not really trying to control somebody else and trying to control somebody else's outcome. 
That's a fool's wager. <laughs> the greatest control in the world is self-control. Wow. And once you begin to control yourself, meaning that you have control of your mind, then you can begin to manifest the things that you desire. But if you never take control of your mind, none of this is never going to happen. And all you do is say, why them and not me? And now you you have that victim mentality. And once you get that victim mentality, game over. Yeah. Game over. Game over. Well, this show's over. Give us again how to reach Tyrone French if they want to if they if they want to go to the wealth coach and 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 improve their game, up their game, change their game. I made it as, as easy as possible. Just go to tyronefrench.coach. And again, if you want to hear this hear this uh, episode again and f- uh, future episodes, go to just remember tyronefrench.net. All right, that's going to do it for today. Whew, lot to take in. I think I need a coach to help me, just like a baseball player. If I'm going to change my bat and start hitting the ball more often, maybe I need a coach to help me along here. The smart one, too. That's our show for this week. Closing the Wealth Gap. The one show, the only show that shows you how to take control of your financial future. Right here in Orange County's only community radio station, OCTalkRadio.net.